All right, if you have your Bibles, open them up, please, to Jeremiah chapter 3 and continue our study. And let's pray as we do that. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we thank you, Father, so much for this day, God. We thank you, Father, for uh, Jeremiah. We thank you, Lord, for the weeping prophet who loved your people, God, and, and was faithful to do exactly what you told him to do. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would help us today as we walk through these verses to apply them to our lives. And Lord, um, th- these things were written thousands of years ago, and they're as applicable today as they were then. And Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things as we study the Old Testament that you find that is so powerful is, is that the Word of God, the Bible says, is alive and is sharper than a two-edged sword. I was listening to a, a pastor in Salt Lake recently. Somebody from our church had left and gone down to this church, and they asked me about it, and they were new. They were checking out. They moved down that way. And so I pulled up a sermon from um, this, this church. I'm not going to mention the name. It's kind of a big, it's a big growing church in, in the Salt Lake area, and they're kind of like a seeker-friendly model church. And the pastor kept using the term. Um, he, he started by, by they, they have this, this lending library of books. And so they were featuring a book, and he, was, he, was, he had about four books that he was featuring um, before he got started. And he said, you know, I know the Bible's an ancient document. And so here's some other books that, that are some supplemental reading that will help you to go alongside of it. And, and he kept using the term ancient document to describe the Bible. And it is an ancient document, but the way that he meant it was like, it's an ancient document in the fact that, oh, it's so old and unrelevant and was written thousands of years ago. And here's some modern books that are written by some modern folks that, that you can understand. Oh, God, these guys drive me crazy. That almost drives me as crazy as, as the pastor who tells his people that you can't hear the voice of God. Well, I don't know what the voice of God sounds like. Oh, my goodness. Those drive me crazy. So, um, but here, here's what's phenomenal. On one of those guys, I challenged him. He, was, he made this big thing for women being senior pastors and preaching, and we need more women. And, and so I, I showed him the verse in Timothy that, that, that Paul says, you know, I forbid a woman to, to be, a, be a leader over men. And, and I says, what do you think of that? You know, with this push, you know, and you're raising up these women in your church to be pastors. And Timothy, the, you know, Paul says in, to Timothy that, that, that women can have any position in the ministry, but they can't be the senior pastor to lead over men. And that's what it says. And I, I said, how do, you, how do you reconcile that with the decision you're making? And he said, oh, he said, well, that, that's, not, that's not relevant for today. Paul was specifically addressing a problem in the first century with that church, but it's, it's not for today. Like, we're more modern and thing. <laughs> Pandora's box. If you can take that verse and say it's not relevant for today, it was meant for um, the first century, and we don't have to follow it, then listen. You could do that with the whole Bible. Then you just get to pick and choose and decide which parts you want to follow and not. Listen, we don't have the luxury to do that. We don't need to do that. The Word of God is relevant for today. It's powerful for today. Here's, here's the danger in the culture and in the world and especially in the church. The danger is the church is trying to be culturally relevant. We don't need to adapt to the culture. We don't need to adapt the Word of God to the culture. You know, all these, these, these churches, you know, the Methodist church and the Presbyterian church and on and on and on, even now some of the Southern Baptist denominations and, you know, they, I, I can remember, it's been 25 years ago now, but there's a big conference and it was one of them and I don't know, pick one, Presbyterian, Methodist, um, Episcopalian and, and it was their, their global conference with all their church leadership and the, and the topic of the conference is, is the word of God, the, the, the um, how did they phrase it? Is it is it the authority the final authority um, is it is it I'm drawing blanks but basically they came out and and the decision through the conference with all their leadership was that the word of God is not 
the final authority for today, that it's irrelevant, it's, or it's not inerrant, unfallible, that's what it is, inerrant, unfallible word of God. Something I say like almost every week, yeah, unfallible, inerrant word of God. And again, so if you take it out, then it's so dangerous, so dangerous, right? And we, we preach the truth. You're never going to take Romans chapter 1 out of the Bible. You're never going to take what Jesus said about marriage between a man and a woman and, 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 and all the things that, that are there. And we don't need to change, right? You know, I shared with you guys just a heartbroken story of the, of the minister at that, at that place. And she, she's a woman pastor. And the guy said, are you, um, you know, are you a pastor? And she said, I am a licensed, ordained minister of the Methodist church. And he said, are you, um, are you what do they call it, proving or, uh, I can't talk today. <laughs> um, affirming are you affirming and she said i am practicing and affirming and, and and here's the thing the bible says that if you practice and you continue this lifestyle you're going to go to hell so she she's not a minister of jesus christ she's she's a minister of satan because she's affirming people to hell she, she's telling them what they're doing is okay and, and if they continue that lifestyle they're going to go to hell and listen, that, that can't be the church, right? We've got to stand against those things. The Word of God is relevant, and the Old Testament is relevant. And the Old Testament, as we read it, isn't it cool on Wednesday nights when we study the Word of God? You know, Jeremiah wrote 2,700 years ago, roughly, and, and, like, it's relevant for today. It changes our lives today, and it's important. And the same things are going on. Nothing new under the sun, right? God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the nature of men's hearts are the same yesterday and forever. All right, so let's pick it up. Um, Jeremiah writes about 60 years after Isaiah. Um, Jeremiah, he was writing um, primarily to the southern kingdom of Judah. The 10 northern tribes had already gone into Assyrian captivity. They watched it happen, and they're getting ready to follow. Jeremiah is warning the people of an impending judgment and giving them opportunity to repent and come back to the Lord. There was, there was, there was tons of popular prophets and preachers in Jeremiah's time, and they were all saying the same thing. You're okay. I'm okay. We're all okay. No worries. Everything's going to be fine. Everything is going to be fine. And Jeremiah is prophesying in this climate of feel-good messages and, and teachers heaping up for themselves what people want to hear to, to tickle their itching ears. And, and Jeremiah becomes hated because he's the only one out there telling the truth and prophesying the true word of God. And Jeremiah becomes, again, an example for us as we live in Sodom and Gomorrah here in 2023 that we have to tell the truth. You know, we have, and, and we've always had, and God has always had, we have the task of telling the truth in love, right? Speak the truth in love. And we have to find a way to love people. We've got to love all people. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what your struggles are. I don't care what your sin is. I, I want to show and be a person of love. And I want to love them. You know, um, you know, we, we have a saying here in our church, right? What is it? Read your Bible and pray every day. I can remember a couple weeks ago, I, I said to you guys, what, what is God's will for your life? What, is, what does God want for you? And the church just responded, read your Bible. And I was like, oh, that, I'm glad you're getting it. But listen, my question was, what does God want for your life? And then I use the example of Mary, and Mary's at the tomb, and she sees the angels, and she's the first person in human history ever not impressed with angels, no reaction, because she's so in love with Jesus, she's not even impressed with these angels. And, and I said, that's what God wants for your life. God wants you to be so in love with Jesus, right? And so listen, read our Bibles and pray every day is not the ends. The, 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 it's a means to the end, but the end is very simple. The end, the reason why we read our Bibles and pray every day is so that we would love the Lord our God with all our hearts, minds, and soul. 
You know, that has to be our desire as Christians. It has to be our desire to love God. And then if you love God supremely and if you focus on your love of God, then, then God says, as my people, what he's going to do in your heart is he's going to create a love in you for, for the world, for the, for, for the body of Christ, for other people. Love God, love people, right? And so again, in any kind of struggle that we have in life, any kind of sin that we struggle with, any kind of um, you know, weakness that we have in life, the focus is never on the sin or the weakness. We have to stay centrally focused on loving God and being relational with God because through that, God's going to heal those areas of our lives. God's going to change those areas of our lives. And we always get it backwards if we focus on anything other, focus on becoming a better person. And again, you know, it's like gag me when you, when you go to church and the message is some kind of do better, feel better, be better, kind of be a good person message. That's not what we need to hear. The message needs to be love God, love God, love God. And so Jeremiah is there, and he's in a culture of, you know, you guys know, I've talked about it many times, right? In this, in this time of Jeremiah, in the setting that we're in, the king was this young king, Josiah, eight years old when he becomes king. At 16 years old, they discover the word of God. Jeremiah rents his clothes, and a revival starts in the southern kingdom of Israel. But the Bible says it was superficial. It says that they were, they were doing Christian things, but there was no real repentance of the heart. You know, and again, that's what we're seeing, right? That's what we're seeing in the churches. So many times where, you know, we have Christianese, and we say, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah, brother. You know, and, and we do the right things, or we say the right things, but, but there's no real brokenness of King David, you know, creating me, God, a clean heart and a desire to, to, to really change. And so this is the culture. This kind of gives us a running start into chapter 3. Then they say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? That's a question. What's the answer? So she goes and, and she divorces her husband and she goes to, into another man and then she decides she wants to go back to her husband. Is she, is she allowed to? No, Leviticus says that, that it's a loophole. There was a loophole in the law and, and God closed it because he didn't want, you know, this, this disgrace in Israel. So a, a woman gets a divorce because um, then she can legally go and, and start another relationship. And then she ends that relationship and, and goes back to her husband. And, and so it's, it's forbidden in Israel that, 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 you know, again, just closes a loophole in the law of Moses that if, if, if you divorced, you weren't allowed to then go have another relationship and then return. Um, and, and it was going on. And it says, would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. So we got into this last week, um, again, with this spiritual idolatry, this spiritual harlotry that is consistent throughout the Old Testament as God uses this example. And it's something that we can all see, right? When, when you love somebody, it, it's, it's, it's gut-wrenching, right, to, to see somebody you love. And I don't know if anybody's ever cheated on you, you've ever felt that or, or you know, that you know, it's just how, how it breaks your heart. Somebody you love holding somebody else's hand or kissing somebody else or, you know, whatever. It, it, it's, it's gut-wrenching. And God uses an example of spiritual idolatry and spiritual harlotry that it's, it's, it's heartbreaking for the Lord. And that's what Israel's doing when they're, when they're going after these other gods. You know, the last thing, if you're in a relationship and you love somebody, you know, people talk about jealousy being a bad thing. Well, not, not necessarily. Like, if you're not jealous, you're not in love. Like, oh, I'm, you know, your, your, your husband or your wife just flirts with everybody you see all the time. Is that what you want? You know, or friendly and flirting with people everywhere you go or him flirt? No, it's heartbreaking. You want them exclusive. You don't want to share them because you love them. And God is, again, he's just, he draws these parallels throughout here. He really talked about it. He mentioned it multiple times in chapter 2, and then he starts with it here in chapter 3. But then the end of verse number 1 says what? 
Yet, listen, this is God's message. We studied it in Hebrews, and always, the, by the amazing grace of God, he says, even though these things happen, and even though it's forbidden for somebody to go and divorce and, and go with somebody else and come back, even though that is forbidden, I'm still telling you to come back. I'm still inviting you to come back. Come back to me. Come back to me. And so, so God um, wants and, and he calls for, for us to come back. Come back, come back, come back. And verse 2, lift up your eyes to the desolate heights and see where you have, where you have not lain with men. By the road you have sat, far, sat for them, like an Arabian in the wilderness. And you have polluted the land with your harlotries and your wickedness. Therefore the showers have been withheld, and there has been no latter rain. Now, um, you, you could look at this any way you want, right? And God is pointing out that this is by design, but there's no latter rain. You know, it, it, it rains on, on, on all men alike, the Bible says. And one man looks up and thanks God, and another man looks up and thanks Mother Earth. You know, and those that, that want to thank Mother Earth, they, they, they say Mother is their Earth until it's a hurricane or a tsunami or something, then, then they're not claiming Mother Earth because that's a cruel mother. But, you know, we, you could explain these things away. You, you could see these um, droughts and these things. And in this particular drought, it's, it's God's hand. And, you know, me personally, as I study through, I don't see too many weather phenomenons in the Bible that are just coincidental or by accident. God is absolutely in charge of every one of them. You know, how does that mean? Am I saying that, that then God is responsible for Katrina and God is responsible for all these things? You know, not, not necessarily, but I... I also do see God's hand in, in everything biblically. When it's a weather thing, it's a rain, it's a not rain, it's a thing that, that God definitely allows it and has a part in it. Um, and then in verse 3, it says, Therefore, this, oh, uh, the rest of verse 3, you have had a harlot's forehead. I don't know what that means. <laughs> You've had a harlot's forehead, okay? I know what it means. It's hard, and it's, it's, it's you refuse to be ashamed. Will you not, will you not, from this time, cry to me, my father, you are the guide of my mouth. So verse 3, the end of that part there is being a forehead is the hard heart danger, right? And this is one of the things that the, the, the Judah is responsible or um, that they're guilty of in this season and something that I always warn us against, right? It is the danger of repeated sin. If you continue in a sin, your heart becomes hard. And this is, this is something that God's word um, is constantly encouraging us and reminding us. Something that King David got right, right? Like King David, he, he prayed, God, create. The word create that David used there in Psalm 51 is bara. Bara means to create from nothing. Only God can, can bara. I could give you wood and you could create a chair, you could build a table, but, if, but you're not going to build it from nothing. Only God can create from nothing. And David says, God created me, bara, a new heart, clean heart. The Bible says that when we sin and we're unrepentant, it's like a hot iron that passes over our heart. And I'll tell you, one of the most dangerous places that we can be in life is having a hard heart towards God, having a hard heart towards our sin, because a hard, hardness of heart will not lead to repentance. It will lead to a stubbornness, a donkey who's being towed behind a truck with both heels, and, you know, not, not wanting to, to move or step. And so this is the condition of, of the, that's a true story. Pastor Gerald tied a donkey behind his truck one time because it wouldn't move. And the dude still wouldn't move. And he drug it down the street. He was an old farmer. I guess that was cool. Um, 
And so listen, you, you have a harlot's forehead. You have a hard heart. You refuse to be ashamed. Will, will you not from this time cry to me, my father, you are the guide of my mouth? Will he remain angry forever? Answer that question, please. Listen, th- this is the amazing grace of God, right? All the way through this, it's ominous. Like, they're in bad shape. Their, their hearts are hard. They're sinning. They're, they're, they're committing spiritual idolatry. And this constant reminder, but yet come to me. And, and will I remain mad forever? God says he won't. And it's just in his nature. And it's, it's, it's encouraging for us to know that the anger of God or the grace of God is, you know, will, will continue. And God says, I won't remain angry forever. Will, will, will he keep it to the end? No. Behold, you have spoken and have done evil things as you were able. And, and as much as they were able, they continued in their rebellion. And it says in verse 6, The Lord said also to me in the days of Josiah the king, Have you seen what backsliding Israel has done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there played the what? Harlot, the same idea. Now, understand that um, when, when you see the term Israel there, it's specifically talking about, in verse 6, the northern tribes. So God is going to um, use, Jeremiah is using the analogy, and God here is speaking specifically about the ten tribes to the north, and they were backsliding. Now, um, really quickly, backsliding is used 15 times in the Old Testament, um, three times in Hosea, 12 times here in um, the book of Jeremiah, and like eight of those times or seven of those times that it's used in the book of Jeremiah, it's used here in chapter 3. And so, you know, the term backsliding, we use that term today, but it's good to know that's a biblical term that God uses. We unpacked it last week, how Satan can use either backsliding or front sliding in ministry. Maybe he can't get you to backslide into drugs and alcohol, so he gets you to front slide into intellectualism or replacement theology or something weird, you know, to get you to front slide um, in another way. But here he's talking about this, and so there's two themes. If you want to underline them, I think there's seven of them in chapter three, the term backsliding. I want you to, I think we encourage you to do this last week, the term, the word backsliding and the word return. And how many times it's backsliding but return, backsliding, return. Are you backsliding? How do you know? Listen, you're, you're on a hill. Your Christian life is a ball or, you know, it, it's, it's on a hill. And, and, it, and if you are not moving forward, you're going to be rolling backwards, right? To stay still is to, is to be moving backwards. We have to constantly be moving forward, constantly be, you know, doing, um, seeking the Lord. If you're not more in love with Jesus today than you ever were in your life, I wouldn't say you're backsliding, but that's kind of the temperature that you can gauge it, where every day I want to be more in love with Jesus tomorrow than I was yesterday, and never backsliding, never returning. You know, there's some major backslides too, right, where, you know, maybe nobody's not backsliding into the the old lifestyle that they lived before they were a Christian, but just not really in that place of moving forward, taking ground. If you're not taking ground, you're losing ground. If you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards, and constantly being on our guard from this idea of backsliding. In verse 7, it says, And I said, after she had done all these things, return to me. Again, return and backsliding, right? Return to me. But she did not return. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. So he's talking about Israel and their condition. And then he's saying, Judah had no fear. You saw the ten northern tribes be carried away into Babylonian captivity. You saw it happen right before your eyes. You knew that, that eventually this could come and this could happen to you and you had no fear. How many of you guys had older brothers and sisters? Any of you guys the youngest? How about the oldest? Okay. The oldest ones that made all the mistakes that the younger ones were supposed to learn from, right? I'm, I'm, this, I'm seven out of eight. 
So I got six older brothers and sisters and one little sister. And, and I did a little bit. I, I did learn from, from some of the mistakes of the older ones, and I watched, and, and I learned from them, you know. Um, and this was the idea that God is saying. You saw your sister Israel, and, and you didn't learn from them. You had no fear. In verse 8, he says, I can't believe we're out of time already, you guys. And I start talking fast and trying to want to finish. Verse 8 says, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but went and played the harlot also. So basically they learned the hard way. Most of us probably learned the hard way. Not, 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 not most of us, but... Um, you know, me and Lydia are different. She didn't learn the hard way. She, she watched her brothers make mistakes. She didn't make those mistakes. Me, you know, a lot of times in life, I, I learned things the hard way. And they learned things the hard way, had no fear. And in verse 9, it says, So it came to pass through her casual harlotry that she defiled land and committed adultery with stones and trees. Those are idols, basically, right? Um, and in verse 10, And yet for all of her treacherous sister Judah has not turned to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, says the Lord. So um, we are out of time, you guys, and I apologize. I wanted to at least finish chapter 3, but I'm not going to keep you guys um, too much later. But let, let's just finish this last verse, and then we'll let you guys go for tonight. Um, hey, here, here's a concept that, again, I think that I, I've kind of, it's, it's near and dear to my heart, so I think I've kind of poured it into you guys a little bit, so hopefully we've got it as a church family. But the Bible has a qualifier um, about your whole heart, that, that you're to seek the Lord with your whole heart. And, and there's no, you know, there's no half-stepping. There's no partial seeking. You don't get opportunity to, um, you know, just give halfway, phone it in. Um, and, and one of my favorite verses, turn to Jeremiah 29 real quickly. If I ask you to turn to Jeremiah 29, do you, does some particular verse in Jeremiah 29 come to mind? Verse 11, right, is obviously the one everybody knows. That's the bumper sticker on your car. That's the magnet on your fridge. Um, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. But I'll tell you, that's not the best verse in Jeremiah 29. That's not my favorite verse in Jeremiah 29. The powerhouse verse in Jeremiah 29 is in verse 12 and 13. It says, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me. What a promise. You'll pray and I'll listen. You'll seek me and you'll find me. But there's a qualifier. Verse 13. When what? When you search for me with what? All your heart. All your heart, right? God wants all your heart. That's what God's interested in. That's what God did in Mary's life at the, at the resurrection is he had all of her heart. And that's what God wants for you. And so seek the Lord with your whole heart. Amen? Hey, guys, I apologize for uh, not finishing or getting there. We guess we got carried away. But you guys are much wiser on the rapture, and you're not going to get caught up in any date setting um, on those things. All right, Father God, we come to you, and we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this day. And, Father, I, I, I fully intended coming in here tonight to do two chapters and get moving in Jeremiah. And, um, Lord, we, we just we thank you, Father, that your word is powerful, that it's alive, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. And, Father, I pray for each person that's in this room, Lord, and that, that we would fall more in love with Jesus every day, that we would not be in a place of backsliding spiritually, and, Lord, um, that we would continue to grow and desire to grow. Lord, give us a, a heart that, has an, that desires deeper intimacy with Jesus. Lord, bless our time alone with you each day, and, Lord, and continue to encourage us lovingly by your Holy Spirit to open the Bible and read it every day and spend some time with you and to seek you with our whole heart, God. 
and your Bible and the Word of God, you promised God that if we seek you with our whole heart, that when we pray, you'll listen, and that when we seek you, we'll find you. And Lord, we thank you and praise you. Lord, we continue to uh, lift up Fernando and his surgery on Friday and Angela. And uh, Lord, we pray for CBI and Trujillo. And Father, I ask your blessing over the missions conference. I thank you for uh, Pastor Gerald and Caleb um, being there. And Lord, we, we thank you for the good news we got with Caleb today. That he spoke to his heart and asked blessing over him. We thank you for Vlad and the Iranian conference that's coming up. That Lord, you bless him as well. And, and Father, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.